Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week, Natasha is going to be reviewing a couple two-player games, Curious Cargo and Beer and Bread, which we were both kind of excited to play when we went over the Golden Geek nominees. And then we are going to be reviewing my number one underrated game, which is Chocolate Factory. So I'll get to gush about that game for a while and tell everyone why I love it so. And then in the discussion topic, we are actually going to be talking about how experience shapes the way we view gaming. Or does you know experience affect the way we feel about games? We're just going to kind of talk about, talk about that. That said, I was a little apprehensive to record this episode. Because my co-host Natasha is like she's talking to me. We, we we chat a little bit before we start recording, and she's over here yawning. <gasps> <laughs> Bob likes to, Bob likes to record in the evenings. I like to record in the morning when I'm alert. In the evenings, I'm kind of like spent for the day. You I know? can't help the fact that I'm a night owl. That's what I'm just. That's what I'm saying. Like evenings are evenings are where it's at. Not really. I don't necessarily always like to record in the evenings. That's just how it works out most of the time. Yeah, but it yeah, me to read record in the morning when I have the most energy. Let me just I, w- I would like to point out what time it is for our audience. It is <laughs> 741 and she's like, I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Like what time do you what is your bedtime? Well, I don't usually go to sleep till like 10 or 11, but I like to wind down and spend some time in my bedroom. Vibing with your yeah, vibing with yourself is yeah. what you're going to do. <laughs> A vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I did ask my daughter. I'm like, "What are you doing the other the other day?" I was like, "What do you What are your plans for the day?" She's like, "I'm gonna vibe." Okay. What does that even mean? I think it means like I think it means like hang out. When I was a youngster, I used to say, "Yeah, I'm just gonna hang out, be cool." I guess that's the equivalent of vibing, hang out, be cool. Yeah, yeah, I think no. that's exactly it. The teachers even use it. Well, the middle school teachers do. You know why? It's because it's you end up using the lingo around the people that you're around the most. For example. Yeah. I've had a lot of people tell me that I have certain things I say. And in this podcast, being the one who edits the podcast, there are things that I say a lot. For <laughs> <Yeah>. example, fair <laughs> enough. I say fair enough all the time. A hundred percent agreed. Like those are my my Bobisms. And yeah. there is one listener, his name's John. He was chatting with his wife, and his wife said something. He's just like, Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent agree. <laughs> she's just like stop saying that and he's like what are you talking about she's like you never used to say that and then you started listening to that podcast and now that's all you ever say <laughs> you do you repeat the things i repeat the things my daughter says like i say omg a lot because she used to say like in middle school she always say omg mom so now i say omg all the time and and then she's like mom i was saying that ironically because you said it and i'm like no i got it from you like I'm just mopping up what you're spilling. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a, I I just I just get tired. Like I like to do all my things that require any kind of mental or physical activity prior to eight o'clock, and then at eight o'clock I like to wind down and read or watch TV. I like to relax for the rest of the evening, and then I get ready. You know, then I go to bed. So I just like to be done by then. I suppose that's fair. My um, recently my schedule has changed, and I'm going to be probably up more so at night than I used to. So it'll be it'll be an interesting uh, interesting thing to see like how late I end up changing because I used to get up super early. I don't have to do that anymore. So yeah, you think you'll naturally stay up later? Oh, for if sure. You're not on a schedule. For sure. 
for sure. Well, I'm going to be on a schedule. I still got to like, I still got kids and they still got to go to school. I still got to help out with that. But as far as, you know, an early morning, nah, not no more. It wasn't by choice. No, I hate mornings. I'm such not a morning person. Are you kidding me? Let me sleep into like 10. That's what I want. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be up until like two, three in the morning, sleep until 10. Done. Yeah. Sign me up for that. No, I'm I'm a. If if I have no kind, I don't really have any times I need to get out of bed because my kids get up and out the door on their own in the morning. So I just and I can be to work whenever. So I like to be up by like I like to be up out of bed by eight o'clock and then back into bed at eight (laughs) o'clock. Twelve hours on, twelve hours off. (laughs) Yeah, twelve hours upright, twelve hours supine. Yeah, Jesus. So. You work from home and you've worked from home for a while. Do you have a consistent schedule that you're supposed to do or can you just like do your work whenever suits you? Yeah, I have times I need to be present and available. Um, You know, I work a typical day like, you know, most most, you know, we typically work like, you know, eight to four, nine to five, whenever you want in that range. Um, But I do work with people from all over the United States. So everyone's on different time. in different time zones. So it doesn't really matter when I exactly I work. I just, as long as I'm there for my meetings, then I can get my work done whenever. But I like to keep the normal schedule, obviously, because I like to be done. I like to be done by, you know, four or five o'clock when my kids get home. Yeah, you need to be done so you can actually start vibing with them, right? Right when they get home. Right, I right. get it. I feel well, you. Well, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm not allowed to vibe with them at right school. <laughs> yeah. That's especially their time. Not, especially not my daughter. She's like, I just don't want to talk right now. So I have to respect that. I've been vibing all day at school, mom. The last thing I need to do is vibe with you right now. (laughs) Well, I think she'd argue that she hasn't been vibing at school and that she needs to vibe now alone. Gotcha. Okay. Got it. Understood. All right. Let's talk about some board games. Why don't you talk about a couple two-player games, huh? Yeah. All right. So first, I want to talk about Beer and Bread. This is a newer game by Scott Alms. Its art is by Michael Menzel, and it's um, published by Deep Print Games and Capstone Games. So this is a two-player only resource management, multi-use cards with some drafting and contract fulfillment. Players each start the game with a hand of cards. You will each play a card in turn order and then swap hands and repeat until all the cards are played. Cards can be used one of three ways. You can play it to collect the resources listed at the top. Um, or if you have enough resources to bake the bread or brew the beer, you can spend the resources and place that card either in your brewery or bakery. This is how you earn points throughout the game. Unfortunately, you can only hold one card in each location store or store, which brings you, me to the third thing you can do with a card, which is to use its special ability. When you play a card as a special ability, you also get to remove those cards from your store, allowing you to complete more cards. That is how a fruitful year works. Um, Every other year will be a dry year. There are less resources to be had in the dry years, and you don't draft the cards. You keep the cards you have in your hand, but you also have three face-up cards that are available to be used by either player. When you use one of those cards, replace it with a card from your hand, so then your opponent can then grab that card if they want to use that one. The game continues over six rounds, three fruitful and three dry. You add up all your points for your beer and all your points for your bread, you earn additional points from some of those cards or their special abilities. Um, and the lowest of the two of the two is what you what your score is, and then the highest score wins. 
What makes this game unique is that it feels like a classic Euro game with lots of resources and components, but in a really small box. It's a lot more robust and Euro-y than most two-player games. It kind of, I mean, it overall looks like a very traditional Euro game, Euro-y game, right? Yeah, the look of it screams, I am a Euro game. It, yeah. it almost looks like, it looks like if Uwe Rosenberg came up with a two-player game it this would be that game yes yeah it has like the same like resources you collect weed or rye or water um there's some limitations with the resources you know especially in the dry year i didn't find that terribly interesting we never really ran out of resources because you're limited in what you can store in your storage area and then of course you want to play these cards as soon as you can um i also didn't find the drafting that terribly interesting because it just kind of, it was just kind of complicated. Like I look at the card and I'm like, look at the cards and think, okay, I want to, um, you know, go for one of these cards. So I will take, play this card, which gets me some of these resources that I need for, to play this bread card. But then you switch cards with your partner. And now you forget which card you're going for. Your partner might take it, but you can't like save a card to, if you want to build a car, let's say you want to bake the bread, you can't bake the bread until you have the resources. So you can't like store the car and plan for it. So it just, it's, it's drafting, but it's not terribly interesting. It's just kind of more complicated. That's kind of a bummer. Cause when you were describing the card play, I think that's the main reason why I thought this game would be interesting is that card play is the fact that you play a card, then you have to give your hand and then they can take the card, that drafting piece. Like it, yeah. it, it felt like there would be a lot more decision space in that. Sounds like it's not. Like if you could draft the cards and then once you've got a full hand of cards, then play your cards, that would maybe be more interesting. But you're picking a card and playing it. One of three ways, the re- collecting the resources, building the, building the bread or the beer, or using the special ability. And so, yeah, it just wasn't that terribly interesting. I almost like the dry phase better because I could take what's in my hand and I could say, okay, I'm going to plan for this. Oh, wait, I really need some extra rye. Oh, I can take from that center pile. It gives you a couple more choices. So overall, like, I liked it. I thought it was a really beautiful production. It's in a nice small box. You know, it definitely feels like a big Euro-y game with a nice small little two-player size box. Um, the components are nice. The artwork are nice are nice like everything about it's very nice and it's very completely fine you know like i enjoyed playing it but i didn't find it terribly interesting there wasn't a lot of tension i didn't think the decisions were very interesting i'm like okay i'll just i need some resources because i don't have any resources i'll play resources cards now hopefully i get a card that i can actually you know spend and, and build you know there's there's not really an engine like the special abilities um aren't terribly interesting you don't really want to waste a turn playing a special ability until you've got your bread and beer played you know purchased so that you can use that special ability to then empty that because that's kind of the most important thing really the most important thing is just collecting resources so you can fulfill these hands but i didn't find any of it to be that terribly interesting Mm, that's a bum deal yeah the decisions were fine It, it was very i don't know it was just like whatever i'll play these for these resources and then if i got to the end of the round and i couldn't build anything or you know bake bread or beer um brew beer then i would just wait till the next round because i'd get a whole new hand of cards and for sure i'd be able to play something so the it sounds like the game almost plays itself a little bit yeah. you take what you need and then you hopefully can build something that's within the hand yeah yeah it's definitely like okay you get these cards um 
you know, you just got to do the best you can with them. You need to get some resources to start. Then, then once you get resources, you can then build a, you know, or you can brew, bake bread or brew beer, which is nice. That's how you get your points, you know, you, 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 but you can't really plan for it. It's, it's just, it's just, it's completely fine. And I can see why people like it, but I don't know that it's just, it's just not that terribly interesting for me. Sure. What are you going to rate the game? I'm going to rate it a six. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would play it if somebody wanted to play it with me, but if I had a two player game, I'd much rather play like. Battle Line, Lost Cities, um, Seven Wonder Duel. I mean, Lahav. That's not a two-player game, but I'd play that too. Um, I just play. I'd play a lot more other options over this. Okay. I feel like I played it. It was fine. It was great. Um, but I don't feel like I need to play it again. Like, there's nothing about it that's like, ooh, if I do this, it'll be more interesting. You know, ooh, I should do this and do things differently. Like, there's just nothing that kind of brings me back in. So, with it seems like in two player games, you enjoy that somewhat tactical nature of back and forth, that push and pull, give and take, that kind of the tension filled timing that you can get in those kind of two player games. That seems to be the things that you enjoy. So, just based on your description, it sounds like, yeah, this might not be the best fit for you yeah that or i like games where i can um build something like i'm working towards a goal like you know even earth i play that a lot of two-player um you know i'm building this up i don't really care about what my partner does there's not that back and forth but i'm working on something where this it's like i don't really like feel like i'm working on anything because it's hard to plan anything because you just unless you can remember the cards that you had in your hand because you're, you're going to get them back you know, so you have a good odd that they're not going to take your card you want, you know, but it just didn't feel like I was like putting a lot of decisions and thought into it. Hmm. So would I recommend this game? Yes. If you like, if you like two player games, if you want something a little bit more Euro-y, nice components, nice production, it's very well done. Um, I can see why people like it. And and I think, it, you know, I can see the appeal and that there are people that, that there are people that like it. If you want a, a game that's less tactile and and more, um, you know, more peaceful, not super crunchy, you know, then this could be a good game for you. That is beer and bread. All right. So next I want to talk about Curious Cargo. So this is also made by uh, Capstone Games. It's designed by Ryan Courtney and the art is by Kanchai Moriah. That, um, this is another two-player only game, but this one is a tiling game where you're trying to make routes from your machine that go out to the trucks outside your factory. So on your turn, you're going to be drawing domino-shaped tiles out of a bag to build out your factory. There are two different types of parts you're making and two different types of uh, pipes that you're building. I shouldn't say making, like those pipe parts already exist there. So there's really just two types of types of pipes that each match the parts. That say that can, three times fast, jeez. That you can move around. <laughs> So there are these, also these truck cards that you uh, get that allow you to take one of the various types of trucks. They're all different sizes and hold different hold different spots. Whenever your truck pulls up to your factory, you can immediately load it up as long as you have a route from your machine to an open truck container. Then you can, you know, move that p- matching part along. This is the main way to earn points. Each truck section can only hold one part, so throughout the game, you you will be bringing in more trucks that push your older trucks further up your factory. So if you plan right, you can load up your first truck and the second truck at the same time as you move the second truck in. Once a truck moves out of your factory, it ends up in your opponent's factory. And if they have a route set up on the right spot that matches the good that they that you have put there already, then they can take that good and they can earn bonus bonuses and additional points that way 
So there are a couple ways you can win the game outright, but they're hard to achieve. So usually it comes down to who has the most points. So you kind of want to get rid of, you know, you want to get these parts out and, you know, collect your opponent's parts back. What makes this game super fun is how thinky and puzzly it is. It's very crunchy. I really like how you're building routes to ship the goods out, but you're also watching what your opponent does so that you can snag their goods as well. The trucks are all different sizes, so you um, so you have to move your routes often, around often as new trucks come in, uh, so you can overlay tiles and change their paths, which is really fun. So you're not just building a path and then trying to build another path and trying to build another path. Like you're like, okay, my truck is going to this spot, so I'll get a blue good to go there. Cool. Um, let's see if I can get a red pipe to go next to it so that I can load up a red and a blue because you can't have two, par- two parts you know, the match next to each other, of course. And then if I move, um, if I get another truck that comes in, you know, to fill that spot, well, now that truck isn't the open beds are in a different spot. So now I need to take those paths and change them, maybe just alter them just a little bit. So now they're going to the spot above or below it. And so you're constantly moving these pipes around and you can, you can really focus on you. So you have to get at least in order to win, you have to get at least two types of two of each good off, off your bed, but you can end the game by connecting 10 separate routes. What if I never even came close to like creating 10 routes? I just kind of moved my routes around a lot. So if you want to focus on, you know, getting all your parts out, um, you can do that to try to get the most points, or you can try to get 10 routes out right away. That'll end the game and you'll win. Cause you'll get a star. Whoever has the most stars wins. Um, you can also get a star by collecting four goods, which is a lot harder to do, but you can do that. As long as you get two goods of each type out, you can then focus on collecting your opponent's goods. So there's a few different ways you can win the game, which makes it kind of fun. Um, I really like the route building with the little pipes and stuff. I think it's really fun. And I think the the fact that you move the pipes, you're going to move the pipes around and stuff is really fun. I, I like that you're constantly building and, you know, looking at what your opponent does. I tried to set myself up at one point thinking, okay, the truck truck's going to land here. So I'll swipe those two goods. That'll be perfect. But then he ended up pushing it up with a bigger truck. So it moved it in a different spot than what I expected, but you've got time to like sit there before it moves on. You've got time to like then build another route to try to snag those goods. So it's very, very thinky and very crunchy. Um, I wouldn't like it at four player I don't think because I think it'd be way too long because you, you, you know, you draw a piece and you're like, okay, I can I play, should I play this out or I can put it in my storage and then you can spend those pieces to then like for truck points and stuff. So if you don't like what you drew, you can spend them to get different trucks or do different things. Um, but maybe you want that piece, but you're not sure where it's going to go. So you can just store it. You can only store like two piles and you have to play the top ones off there. So the way you store them is important. So on your, on your turn, the whole time you're on your turn, you're thinking about what you're doing. Like you're putting a lot of thought into it. So it, it absolutely has to be two player only because it would just be really slow any other way. Well, this designer also did a pipeline, which is, you know, it can go up to four, I believe. Yeah. So there's a, and it seems this particular designer really enjoys route building games cuz he's also the one that did Trailblazers and if you remember from our Origins recap from last year it's a game we got a chance to demo and we really liked it. We, because it yeah. was a, it, it was a drafting 
route building game, kind of tile lane. Yeah, tile lane with yeah. it's, it's the same idea. So the, the way I heard it described is like Pipeline was this first, and it's a very big, heavy game. Curious Cargo takes it down a notch, and um, and it's just a smaller version of that game. And then Trailblazers is like just the tile lane piece of it. So you're not, you know, there's no truck actions and stuff like that. You're just doing the tile lane, and the way the tile lane is done is very similar to Curious Cargo. And the fact that it's a domino shaped and then you have different types of routes and then you can overlay them. So this designer went the exact opposite way as most designers. Most designers will do the super simple version, the more more improved version than the more improved version. He decided to go backwards and do. Yeah. All right. I, I remember Pipeline and I remember it being super crunchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this game, be- I think because of that, I was like, mm, I don't know if I necessarily would want to commit to a two-player version of Pipeline. But based on what you said, it sounds awesome. Yeah. It sounds like it'd be right up mine and my wife's alley to play. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's the right amount of time. It's probably 40 minutes or so. You know, um, it's enjoyable. It's thinky. You you can do you can have different strategies throughout the game. You can focus on different things to to try to, to try to win. I I really liked it. It but it's very heavy. And if you're concerned about how heavy it is, I think Trailblazers is going to be a lighter version of of Curious Cargo. Like it's just the the paths and like there's not a lot of like punishing. Where this is like you've got to get those pieces moved along, those parts moved along. But overall, I really liked it. I'm giving this one um, like an eight and a half, probably. I'd play it. I'd play it. I want to play it again. Like I'd play it again and again and again. And it makes me really excited for Trailblazers. I can't wait to play that one. All right. So I would recommend this game if you like uh, thinky, puzzly games, you know, you don't mind taking your time. Like I have to, whenever I take the tiles out, I always have to like place them to see how they're going to work out. Like I can't ever see it without placing it down. You know, if you don't, if you're in the mood for like a nice thinky, uh, crunchy two player only game, that's got a lot of dimension to it. I think this is a great option. Uh, I totally recommend it. Um, if that's your thing, you know, if, if you, if you don't like that heavy crunchiness to it, you probably won't like it overall. Good game. Curious cargo. Yeah, I'm going to have to definitely check that one out. All right, next up, I want to talk about Chocolate Factory. This is an engine building order fulfillment game designed by Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert, published by Alley Cat Games. So in Chocolate Factory, players will be taking on the roles of master chocolatiers competing to build the best factory and fulfill the most valuable orders. Players will be playing through six rounds, representing one week of production. Each round, players will be receiving coal, which is used to run the various machine parts, They will also receive both a new machine for their factory and an employee to help them for the day. These are selected via snake draft, and usually there will be packets of cards together. So for example, in a three-player game, there will be three piles of machines, two with two cards, and one with one card. If you take a packet with more than one card, you choose one to keep and discard the other. Next up, players will run their machines. This is the gimmick of the game. Players will have a conveyor on their player board. Players will load a conveyor tile with a chocolate bean and push it for one spot. Then the players can run their machines. They will do this a total of three times, advancing their conveyor tiles and running their machines. Most of the machines will improve your chocolates in some way, so you can turn beans into cocoa. Then you can make cocoa into either chunks or fingers. 
then those can become caramels or nuts, and finally you can move that move into boxes of chocolates. After all players have run their three shifts, players then can fulfill orders. Players will begin the game with a small, medium, and large corner shop order. Fulfilling parts of these will give players money, which is victory points in the game. Whenever you complete one of these orders, you will get another corner shop order of any kind that you want. This is also where players can fulfill department store orders. Players can send their chocolates to the department stores that is associated with the employee they drafted at the beginning of the round. And then this will give players endgame points. After six rounds, players will gain points based on who fulfilled the most of each corner shop order, who delivered the most to each department store, how many different department stores you've delivered to, and any remaining chocolate or coal, and whoever has the most points wins. I think what makes this game fantastic is that gimmick of the conveyor belt system. I love running that engine each round of the game, filling it with a little cocoa bean, moving it over, running the different machine parts. It just There's just something about it that just makes me happy as I do it. So you've got a piece, you got a piece, that cocoa bean on a, a tile, like a square yep. tile. Yep. And as it enters your machine, you you physically push it along like this. It's on a little box and you push it along. Like you don't need to, like you could just pick it up and move it to the next spot. No, but you couldn't. You, you can't do that. Push no, it along. No. And that's, I think that's like the satisfying part, right? It's so You're satisfying. Like, <laughs> I love it. Dude, yeah, mm-hmm. just a little yeah. conveyor system. Whoop. And then you line it up like it's literally an engine builder. You're literally building an engine to make chocolate. You're getting machine parts, which are your engine, and then you can definitely, yeah. I, I, it's so gimmicky, but I love it. I love mm-hmm. every second of that. It's this game also does a thing which I really like, which is it gives you stuff for free, right? Yeah. In something like Terraforming Mars, if you're building project cards, first you have to buy the project card, and then you're going to have to you know, pay for the project card in order to be able to activate it. In this game, you're getting a new machine part and a new employee each day. So you are getting something every single day for free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't, the only thing is you're in, within a draft. The downfall of a game like this is there's not necessarily a lot of player interaction. There's a lot of doing your own thing on your player board and fulfilling orders. The -hmm. biggest player interactions, like who's fulfilling department store orders, that sort of thing. So it does lack a little bit of that. But for me, I don't don't really care. I like just pushing that tile across, running my engine, pushing it again, shooting it out the chute, doing my thing with my chocolates. Yeah, it's fun. It's got, you're, you're moving things along and you're physically like, you're just constantly taking, you know, pieces off, changing pieces, really the heart and soul of this game, like the decisions that you're going to be making that determine if you win or lose this game are the draft. And it's a very simple draft. You you draft either one apart or a, what'd you call them? A, a, a shop store manager or something, a person, a helper, an employee, an employee, you're drafting an employee and a machine part, you pick one. And then when you're the last one, you get, you, get what you get you know or you might have choices depending on what they have taken already you might have a packet yeah yeah you you i mean you might get like you might have like one machine to choose from that's it or you might have one of each who who knows really that's kind of that is going to determine what you what you do and then of course you've got a little decision of where to put the machine part because you can put along various parts so that will determine like how you play the game 
But once it's set, like it's it's just going to go like it's just a matter of, OK, do I want to produce this this turn or do I want to produce this this turn? And that's going to be determined based on the corner shops that you have or if you're trying to fulfill those larger orders that you're competing for majority of them, but which are hard to do because you have to have the employee in order to do that to that store. So it's very limiting on what you can do. So it really does come down to the draft. I think this is heart and soul. This game is the draft. And then the factory part is just a little fun, like moving stuff, doing things with your fingers. Which is fun. It's like, it's completely fun. And you know, I like drafting. So that clearly like tracks with this game. I think there's a lot of like little decisions in a lot of small spots. So the the drafting, like you said, great example. If you, there might be an employee packet, that you really want that's really going to help you do a lot this turn. For example, some of the employees might give you additional coal, which means you can run more machines. It might give you uh, two beans on each conveyor box instead of one. It could give you, you know, run four shifts instead of three. So it, it could give you a variety of things. It could tell you double up the chocolates on one of your things. So there's some there's some really cool, powerful effects. And then on top of that, you also want to make sure you're getting the correct machine parts in order to fulfill the orders you're looking to fulfill. Right. And you got some decisions because you might want that employee who gives you five coal, but you're not going to be able to produce the candy that the store that he works at, so that he matches up with however that works. So you're not going to be able to sell to any of those public stores. You can only do your private corner shop ones. So are you going to be able to produce your, you know, this round those for those that you have? If not, then even if you want him, he's not very useful. You might want somebody else that's going to allow you to sell the types of candy that you'll be able to make. So there's there's some decisions in there. It's a little tricky to plan it out. You know, it's a, it feels a little tight, like you're not going to be able to do it all. Like you're only going to be able to do like either your corner stuff or the store stuff. But you can get in there. Like you don't want to go too heavy in the store because you don't get points, very many points for doing that as you do your own individual ones. But, you know, it's got some decisions there. Yeah, I think it, there's a lot of there's a lot of future planning that most new players playing it the first time don't quite get until they've run their machine. Yes. The very first day. So you get these machine cards and basically your player board's going to have four bays in it. So the, you're running three shifts. So technically that, that chocolate is never going to make it to the end of the bay until the following turn. And you have, you start off with just a couple machines. So you have a lot of open space one in the very beginning, drafting these machine parts and putting them into your, into your factory. And then in the spot three is basically like a little shoot where you can shoot the candy out so you can get it whenever you need. That's just a Sooner, free thing. Do yeah. your, yep. Do your thing. Send it out. Knowing where to place those machine parts so they're going to be the most advantageous when you activate them really matters as well as the resource management. So you get a limited amount of coal every single day and there's no way you can run all your machines every single shift. You just won't. You won't mm -hmm. be able to. So you have to pick and choose what it is you, you're going to run. Like, do I spend four coal on this really like massive machine or do I spend two on this and two on this to get the things I need? Right. You know, and those little decisions, I think, are what I like because it's a lot of a lot of, OK, where do I put this? How do I activate it? Which which ones do which machines am I going to do this particular shift? So I think there's like I said, there's a lot of like cool little decisions just like sprinkled throughout the game which I really like. Yeah. 
I would say overall, it's a fairly lighter game. It's got some interesting decisions. I'd, I'd, I'd say it airs on like the family. Well, maybe a little heavy for family weight, but overall a good welcoming game. It makes sense. Once you've seen a round of it, now it makes sense how the, how the parts move along and how they produce. And, and overall, yep. I think it's, 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 a, it's a lighter game. It's not terribly complex. It's not too crunchy. You know, the decisions are pretty, um, once you, you know, once you've drafted and you, you're deciding what to make, it's pretty obvious what to do. It makes sense. It's not too thinky or anything. I don't know if I'd necessarily quite say this game is family slash gateway. If anything, I would say it's like family gateway plus. Yeah. It says 10 plus. So just that the one, the people who, who have played a few games with you, like played the tickets to ride and the Alhambras and they want to take a next step. I think this is a good next step game. Yeah. So that's what I would I, I think. And I just like I said, I there's just something so satisfying about pushing that conveyor over, like manipulating your chocolate, like and just, you know, turning this into this, which turns into this, which is gonna give me this, which allows me to fulfill these orders. You get you get majority points for each different kind of shop order. So maybe you go really you try to fulfill a lot of each to get some, you know, majority points with that. Maybe you're trying to do a bunch of department store stuff. I really like it. I really like how it all comes together. Uh, like I said, it just, just running it, just, it's just so fun for me to run that. Um, all right. What are you going to rate this game? I'm giving it a seven. I enjoyed it. Um, I probably, I might enjoy it more if I played it more, you know, having just played it the one time with you. Um, I enjoyed it. It was definitely like, I don't know which, which pieces are necessarily better, which employees are the best. You know, I think I could learn it and, and enjoy it more. But it's not really a game that I'm going to be like clamoring to like play it again either. Hey, listen, I'll take a seven. I'll take a seven. I thought it was going to be for whatever reason. I thought you were going to rate it lower. Um, no, I enjoyed it. I didn't think there was anything to dislike about it. Good. I am giving this game a nine. I love it. I love this game. It's, <laughs> it's just so much fun for me. I uh, I really wish more people liked it so I could get it out more. I know we played it with our friend Jeremy, and he didn't. He doesn't necessarily like this game and i think part of it is the scoring is the scoring's not quite it's not quite as lucrative to go for the department store orders as it is to fulfill a bunch of corner shop orders mm-hmm. um i think there's a there's a balance i think i think the corner shops need to be fulfilled but i also feel like you you need to keep people honest in the department store categories as well you know getting some cho- deliver some chocolates to those in order to, again not to have somebody just get away with all of them because i think if you did you could score like a ton of points that way too Mm -hmm. so yeah that is uh like this is my number one underrated game i'm giving it a nine i really like it uh i think if you like contract fulfillment games i think if you like engine building games if you just really enjoy manipulating pieces trading this into this which trades into this which trades into this a little bit of that resource management drafting i think this is a solid game at least give it a try i think because it's good. At least I think it's good. So that is Chocolate Factory. All right, that's going to wrap up the games we're talking about this week. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be discussing how experience affects our view on games. Welcome back. This week in our discussion topic, we are going to be discussing experience in gaming and how that affects our view on games and this this uh discussion topics kind of sparked from a recent debate we had we we talked about 
games we like highly rated games we just don't like and uh one of them for me in particular was power grid and i talked about how my experience at the end of power grid soured my view on the game mm-hmm. and it, it came up recently in a game night where we were talking about that and so it, it begs the question how much does experience or the experience we have when we play a game how much does that affect the way we look at a game and another example that i guess we'll just bring up is like a positive experience so for example you me and our and our friend Jeremy played Planet B. Uh-huh. You know, which has a very unique theme and I think all of us agreed that it's one of those games that you have to have the right people with. We had mm-hmm. a lot of fun with that game, which I think helped us give that game a much better review, a much more positive review than if we had if it was just a fair experience, right? Yeah, I mean, I certainly have had bad experiences where maybe the game was really long because there was a slow player, you know, or I played with somebody who was really good at the game and just I got destroyed. Those those really set the tone for the game. If that's the first time I'm playing it, they set the tone in it and it, and it kind of makes you kind of pause and be like, mm, I don't really want to go back to that because I could have that same experience. I've heard that before with people when they talk about side, they might've had a really bad experience playing it and they just don't like the game because of it. Yeah. When you know that you're going to have a negative experience with a game, it definitely prevents you from wanting to do it. You know, we had like the possibility exists, right? Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Well, and uh, we talked a little bit about playing a game res arcana with our friend, Chris, who is just like, yeah, if I have this in my hand, I can win by like turn three. He's just played it so many times that he knows what he needs to do, which puts people at a completely different level. So I agree when it comes to playing a game, if you're going to sit down and play with somebody and you're going to get whooped, it just doesn't feel good. And it's going to make me think, I don't want to say make me think less of the game, but it's definitely not going to make me want to come back to it. Right, which means I'm not going to get experience playing it and it's not going to grow on me and I'm not going to end up loving the game. You know, it's just not going to be on your list of games that you bring out. Yeah. I think the vice versa could happen too. If you've got a really positive experience with a game like um, Galaxy Trucker is another one that I think of. Like, that's not a game that I would typically like, but we had so much fun playing it. We've got such a positive memory associated to it. Like, I don't care that it's not my style of game and that I would, and you know, like, like the, 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 the card play and all that stuff because I had so much fun playing it with you guys, you know? Yeah. Playing the new version of Galaxy Trucker at Origins, if I would to, if I were to make a top 10 experiences list, that would be on there because mm-hmm. I just had so much fun. It was so entertaining. I just, I enjoyed myself so much, but it makes me wonder because we have talked about playing it again. We're like, you know, Jeremy owns the copy and we're like, Jeremy, bring Galaxy Trucker. We want to play it. And there's there's a few people who are like, eh, I don't really want to play it. It makes me wonder, are we always going to be chasing that feeling that we had when we played it at Origins that year? You know, now now the thing is, every single time we play that game, the comparison's always going to be our experience that we had while playing it at the convention. As opposed mm-hmm. to the experience that we have now, you know, it's it's always going to be this tier system of like, well, it wasn't as good as it, you know, when we played it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so is it like, are we always going to be chasing that experience that we had? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I mean, games certainly fade. Like, 
I think of like, especially like social deduction games, like um, those tend to be so much fun. You have such a great experience playing them like the first few times. And then over time, same with like Cards Against Humanity. Like I had yep. such an amazing time playing that game, but then you play it again. You're like, oh, no, not very great. But the experience, like, I think that's fine. Like, right. I enjoyed the game. I got a ton out of it, playing it a few times. And then now I can be done. Like, I don't need to continue playing it. Nothing will top the first time you played it, you know, and and same with those social deductions. Like they're kind of, I'm kind of feel burned out on those. Like I think I've just played them to death because I had so much fun playing it and now they're just no longer fun. You know, it's one of those things that social deduction games feel like they have such a limited shelf life. But yeah, I also wonder too, with that is after you've cooled on it and let's say you haven't played it for a couple of years, if you come back to it. What kind of experience would you have? Would you be reinvigorated with the game? You know, or would it, or would you just be like, yeah, okay, like Deception Murder in Hong Kong? Do you have any inclination to play that? No, I would play that one over any of the other social deduction games. You know, I, but like, like, um, I think Sigurd Hitler is the one for me. Like, I love that. I had so much fun playing it for the longest time. And now I have like zero desire. Like, I don't even want to touch it. I just am over it, you know? Yep. But I don't want that to, like, ruin the game for me. Like, I still have all those fond memories, and I can still, like, internal, you know, have those forever. I don't need to continue loving a game to love my initial experiences with it. For me, I think the social deduction game is Spyfall. So, for me, that game, when when I first got it, it was one of those games that I had actually introduced to newer players. And we just had a ton of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Like just just being able to go through the, you know, you get to the point where there's always there's same guys, always the same as the trader, quote unquote. So you always yeah. have these fun, unique experiences with it. And recently I've been doing a massive call of games. And that was like one of the first games I put on the pile just because I don't feel like going back to it. Yeah. You know, I just don't know if that's I don't know if it's worth teaching somebody new that game it would be fun if i played it with the same group maybe mm-hmm. but even then like it that is moved on i i think you can do that with a game right you can play it enough to have figured it out and then you've you've kind of figured it out it's this the the shine of it's gone then that's okay like just be done with the game get rid of it out of your collection move on to the newer you know, a new thing. And that's completely fine. Like we don't need to feel guilty and hold on to these games just because they were great ones. Like games can be disposable, right? We can, you know, I love, I'm a big fan of my exit um, and unlock and those escape room games. Those are one-time use games. And I don't mind that I play a game to death and it's no longer fun for me. Like I try to like stop before it gets to that point. You know, I can get rid of it then pass it on to somebody else. I think sometimes the problem with that, though, is that nostalgia feeling of the experience that you had. If you, you know, we talked about, you know, calling games or whatever. I think people have a difficult time getting rid of a game they associate positive memories with because now they don't want they don't want they it's like they're throwing away those memories. I mean, if you, I guess if you have the room and you're a collector and you want to keep it because you, every time you look at it, you're reminded of those memories, then that's fine. That's that's a decision you can make. But you don't have to feel you don't have to sit there and feel guilty for not playing it at least. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I did want to ask you about Blood Rage because I know you have talked about when you first played the game, you did not like it. 
Yeah. You had a pot, you had a poor experience with it, but then you came back and now it's one of your favorite games of all time. Yeah. I mean, to be completely honest, I just got better at it. Like the first time I, it's one of those games that, um, gets, you need to know the cards, right? Yep. Um, and so the first time I played, I played with people who knew the cards and I just got whomped. And then the second time I got whomped a little bit less, you know, and then the third time I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, get, I'm okay at this, you know, and then developing a strategy and playing it back to back. So absolutely. Like, I mean, I hate to be a sore loser, but it's not fun playing a game and getting destroyed. It's just not like you have to, no, it really you, isn't. you have to get, you have to, you have to push back that feeling and not feel like crap like you have to you have to be okay not being good at these games because you're just not going to if you play with somebody who's played it before multiple times you know and you have to like not beat yourself up about it and then you know continue if you like the game you have to try to look at it with uh, unbiasedly like would i like it if i wasn't getting beat so bad you know put some time into it and some of those just to be completely honest are not worth it like it's just not worth me getting into a game that my entire game group has completely mastered like i will just never be good at that game like like marco polo like i'll never compete with you guys at that game so i am it's not interesting enough for me to want to go and learn it and get good at it so my question to you specifically and to continue on with the blood rage point what it was it about that game that even though you had a negative experience playing and you got whooped, made you come back. What was about that game that you said, you know what, I know this wasn't good because honestly, I've played a handful of games where I've gotten destroyed. And I'm like, mm, I think I'm good. You know, mm -hmm. for example, um, like Food Chain Magnate is an example of a game that I just don't know if I want to play because anyone who I'm going to play it with is going to know the game and it's punishing. Yeah. And if you don't, know what you're doing and you make a wrong move in the first like turn or two you're done the rest of the game yeah so what was fun. it about yeah what was it about blood rage that you're like no i want to come back to this i think i just played it again because other people wanted to play it and i enjoyed that second playthrough a lot more and so then i could see that i would enjoy it again i just kept i just gave it a chance because people were playing it. it was popular games people were playing it so i just kept playing it myself you know so i got that opportunity to play it and got good at it or like a game that's kind of older and people aren't playing as much. You're just not going to get played as much. You're not going to get gain that level of experience. The, yeah, this is true. You know, you we've brought up a couple times already getting destroyed in a game is not fun. I know for me in particular, when I'm playing a game with new people and I'm like destroying the people, it's mm -hmm. not fun for me. No. You know, and part of that is that competitiveness, like, I, I don't need to win every game. I just don't. It's fine. I like you often say I'm good at games and I I think I'm, I'm I think I'm decent at games, but I also my big thing is I want to be competitive. Mm -hmm. As long as I'm com competitive, I feel like I'm having, you know, a solid time and when I'm playing a game that I know really well. For example, you talk about Great Western Trail, playing that with newer people. If I'm teaching somebody Great Western Trail for the first time and I like you know, I destroy them. It doesn't feel good for me either. You know, <laughs> right. I don't, yeah, like, I don't feel good that I just, you know, ha ha ha. Yeah, I congratulations. Beat you by yeah. <laughs> you know, I scored 137. You scored 25. Ha ha. Shit, sucks to be you. Right. There's no satisfaction in that. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's not a, it makes me think of, you know, that's not a, it's not, it's like, it doesn't feel like a good win. 
It's like it's like beating your kid at basketball or your toddler at basketball. Yeah. Okay, cool. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I can dunk and you can't. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't it just doesn't feel good. Mhm. The other the one other point I wanted to bring up because we've talked about it recently too specifically with experience is slow players. Oh. That will ruin a game for me. I think that I think you and I are in the same boat. Where it will ruin a game for both of us, you know, like that in particular, uh, I struggle with it. Like I want to, oh man, it's, it's one of those things that I feel like I, as a, as a, as a gamer, my new year's resolution needs to be to improve on that. But the problem is (laughs) other people need to improve. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to draw a hard line here. I have a lot of faults, but that's not one of them. It's not it's not us, it's you. Yes. <laughs> be better. Oh my god. Don't goodness. be slow. So that's that's all we're asking. Just take fast turns. The problem is, okay, here's not, the not fast turns, reasonably paced turns. Yes, agreed. Re- you, you don't have to be as fast as you start your turn yeah. on your turn. You do not start thinking on your turn. That's the defining de- definition of a slow turn. Like you need to be planning your turn when it's not your turn. Agreed. And then now that I understand there's going to be times where something changes dramatically on the board and you're going to need to take some additional time. Listen, I've done it. Natasha's done it. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. People always get, they they know how much I hate slow. And so they always apologize. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm taking so long. I'm like, no, no, no. You are not taking so long. The board has changed and you're actively thinking that is fine. You are working on this. This is not every turn. Like there are no hard feelings. Like there's a very, cl- I have a very clear line here yes. of, of like what slow turns means. And, <laughs> and then taking one turn through one or two turns throughout the game to, to rethink what you're doing is totally fine. Yeah. Whenever I do it, I always seem to preface it too with, okay, a lot's ch- uh, the things I want to do are now gone. I need to take a second to think about my turn. Mm-hmm. And I'm also very forgiving of long turns on two player games. Like I almost don't care how long you take your turn. It completely changes for me. It's. I wonder why is that? Like, what is it about a two-player game that changes it within a four-player game? Because I'm also thinking on your turn. So if it's your turn and you're thinking, I'm also thinking. So then I'll take my. So I have to wait for one person. Always it. Always it's three times as long that I have to wait in a four-player game. It's just exponential. I mean, it's not exponential. It's double. What, the thing that frustrated me the most once playing with you a uh, two-player game was when you taught me battle line. And um, I was taking a really long turn because I was just like, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to interact with the game. And I mm-hmm. like, so I'm sitting there. I'm, I It feels like I took 15 minutes to take my turn. It was probably like two minutes. Probably wasn't even that. Yeah, probably. It was like 45 seconds. And I was like, okay, I'm going to place here. And I place the thing here. You're like, all right, cool. I place my card here. So it's already back to my turn. And it took me 45 yeah. seconds to figure that out. Now I have to spend another 45 seconds to my I'm like uh like now what do I do a lot of pressure but that 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 literally doesn't bother you the the reason why I was so quick was because I had my turn planned out unless you played something that messed with my plan but even then I always have a backup plan laid out so like I'm also using your time to think about my turn and so then it's like turn turn wait we both are thinking then it's turn turn you know yep it doesn't bother me two players it's like I'll take take all the time you need I don't care. It's interesting how that shifts. I think the the big thing for me when it comes to the reason why I, li- I hate slow slow players or AP players 
I I say hate, but I just I I find it difficult to tolerate. And yeah. part of it is especially when we're playing a game that has a lot of tension. Yeah. I have this like I want I'd like let me let me make my move. I'm like I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let me make my move. Let me make my move. Uh-huh. And people will will be playing games and this happens a lot where we're playing a game and People take their time, take their time, take their time. They come to me and I like do a bunch of stuff, but I'm like talking through. So I'm going to put this here, which is going to give me this resource that's going to allow me to move up here, which is going to give me this resource that allows me to place my worker here and activate this spot, which gives me 10 points, turn complete, you're go. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the, what the hell was that? I'm like, well, I've thought about this and how to manipulate all the pieces. And I've come to the decision that this is what I'm going to do. And I've just been waiting to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, yeah, that that's the problem is like Wayfarers, when we first played it, I was just like, is this an, is this an AP problem or is it a game problem? Mm-hmm. You know, was the game long or was it just the players that we played with? I, I think the defining factor is, um, are, are you waiting for people to think what they're going to do? Because if then it's a person problem, right? People yes. problem. Yep. But if you're taking your turn and then... You, you like take part of your turn like and then you've got to make a decision like halfway through your turn and you got to think about that. Then that's a game problem. Or if you're like you're doing this and then you're doing this and then you're doing this and that physically takes a lot of time to like manipulate all that and you're the only one doing it, then that's a game problem. Yes, sure. Or if you have to you you can't pre-think your turn. You have to wait until it's your turn and then make a decision. Yeah, no, I'm not playing those games. Those types of games are less frequent now than they used to because I think there's a a natural progression towards including everyone on turns. Like yeah. people people love being included on other players' turns. So yeah. space based those types of games where you're constantly paying attention, you're engaged the entire time. Mm-hmm. I think those types of games are just naturally doing better because it holds people's attention. Right, right. Like even when we play Planet Unknown and you've got one slow person and they take like 30 seconds longer than everybody else or even a minute or two, it's only like you, you have you add up everybody that takes a long time that takes longer than you. So let's say you take 30 seconds, somebody else takes a minute, somebody else takes two minutes. You're not adding all of those up. You know, it's yes. not a total of five minutes. It's at most the slowest player, which makes a huge difference. The game is as long as the slowest player. Mm-hmm. in that type of situation yes and you're that's the thing you're doing stuff the entire time and i know we have several players that need to take the pieces and kind of like look at where they're going to fit you like yeah. you do that you do that a lot especially in any yeah. sort of polyomino game you're always like i don't i haven't decided yet i want to take this piece and see if it fits mm-hmm. and i know and like for that i don't necessarily care about because i know there are people who are less visual than others some people need to actually see the piece, hold the piece, and like put it and see if it will fit in their little thing. They can't visualize how it's naturally going to fit. Mm-hmm. But you also have a general idea of what kind of piece you're going for. I can make a decision quick, right? I can grab this piece, nope. Grab this piece, nope. Grab this piece, yes. You know, that's. I think that's the determination, right? Am I spending yep. time thinking about it? Okay, if I put this piece here, then I'll get two points. But if I put it here, I'll get three points. Like that's like that. That's like I got no patience for that. Yep. Well, and it's your, it's not like you're picking from every piece in the little carousel or the lazy Susan of polyominoes. You're picking, maybe you might have an idea of using three at most, and you typically know really quickly whether or not it's going to fit with what you're trying to do. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not like it takes too much of that time. Yeah. 
I think we went off on a tangent there. Maybe a little bit on that. Well, you know what's funny is what that was the other thing I was thinking about with this particular topic was slow players. Like we get so triggered with slow players. It's it's <laughs> nice that you and I are the same with that because then we can be on this podcast and talk about slow players and not have to like, you know, challenge the other one. Be play devil's advocate. I don't think one of us has ever played devil's advocate on the whole slow player thing. No. <laughs> So it's nice that we're like-minded in that particular scenario yeah. so we don't have to because um, there's a lot of people who are just like, listen, it's I can take as long as I want to take. Can you, though? No, you're can not fun you? to play with. You're just you're just not fun. Like you, you're spoiling a game for everybody. Like winning shouldn't be that important that you slow down the entire game. Like I know that I often don't make optimal moves. I make quick moves and I'm fine with that. You yeah. know what I mean? I'll get better and I'll get better at making quick moves and I'll have see I see my mistakes and next time I play I won't make those. But like I'd rather just get through this first gameplay. I don't need to sit there and think about how am I going to get the most points. I'm and especially the first time I'm playing a game, I'm literally just trying to make moves, see what happens, see how it goes, and I will worry about getting points the next time, but I'm going to do it quick. I'm not going to spend time thinking, overanalyzing you know, is this going to give me the most points? Is this going to give me the most points? Like I'm having, I always have a plan, something to do. And if I don't, I just go with something that I can do. A lot of times I, I approach a game, the newer game, and I'm like, I'm going to do this one thing. I want to do this one thing and mm -hmm. screw everything else. Hopefully this one thing gets me points. Yeah. You know, that's why you often see me, you know, if there's a track, I'm going to try to get to the top of the track before everyone else. You know, and whatever I can do to manipulate that track, that's the, those are the turns I'm going to take. That That is a good tip. Like if you're learning a game that's really overwhelming and there's a lot of things you can do and you get overwhelmed by all the different things, if you can ignore some of them, ignore them. Like you don't need to learn an entire game and everything options to you the first time you play it. If you... If you um, are learning a game like we just learned Gaia Project, right? And like the whole terraforming a Gaia, like that, I, I couldn't even tell you how to do that. I never did that once. I did something totally different and I was like, I'm not even going to learn how to do this. I'm just going to focus on the things that I am doing, learning that. And then the next time I play, I'll try to figure out how to do that. The same with uh, Red Cathedral is another one, the whole scoring, the way it scores at the end. Like it, yeah. at, for some reason, that totally overwhelms me. I just ignore it. Like I know that I'm not playing optimally and I'm probably not going to get the most points as I normally can, but I'm focused on learning the game. And I don't, I just focus on what I know if I can get away without knowing everything until it gets to the point where I need to know it. Because it, for me, like learning everything, it's just, it's not, I can't do it. It won't stay in my brain anyways. So I just yep. don't even bother. And that's a tip I have if you're learning heavy games and you're you're not very good at like storing all that information the first time, then don't just play what you remember. Honestly, for new, if you if you can see there's a bunch of moving pieces in a game and you see one thing in particular is, is generating points, do that one thing. Yeah. You know, do that one thing as as much and as often as you possibly can and focus, put all your effort into the one thing, because a lot of times you'll see games are just like. Oh, this thing's broken. If everyone just, if you focus all your attention on this one thing, it's broken. You're going to score too many points. Well, games a lot of times are balanced enough where if you do a lot of little things, you can score a lot of little points. Or if you focus on one thing, you can score a lot of points in this one thing. Yeah. So it, it gives you this opportunity to just know that one mechanic. 
and just exploit it as much as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And then as you're playing the game, a lot of those other things are going to come up and then you can learn those as you go. You get halfway through the game, you're like, okay, I'm grasping. That's really good. Now I need to get gold. I haven't done that yet. So how do I get gold? Then you kind of learn learn that. So you're learning it as you go. Yeah, you're not going to win, but who cares? You're learning. Well, and you can watch other people do the other stuff and watch them fail so then you can be successful. That's, yeah. I love how experience how experience shapes our view of games has turned into a PSA on how to take faster, more efficient <laughs> turns. Like we man, if there is one overall arching theme that this podcast can get behind is be a faster player. Like I think that's should that mm-hmm. should be our tagline. The board game shenanigans podcast, be a faster player. You're like <laughs> I'm going to make a shirt that just says be a faster fun to player. Play with. Like you just need to be fun to play with. Like that's it. You know, like are you a fun person to be around? Are you joyful and fun? And do people want to play games with you? You know, and, and yes. sitting over there, you know, looking at all the options, trying to figure it out, you know, or getting upset because you didn't know the rule was there or, oh, no, we told you this, even though they did, but you weren't listening because you can't hear it all. Like, that's fine. Like, just don't be negative. Yeah, just in the I will say this, which you bring up a point which I want to touch on in a second. But we 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 often talk about slow players. Listen, if you see us at Origins, if you see us out and about, if you see us at a convention and you want to play a game with us, and you're just like, mm, I take slower turns, so I don't know if I want to play with them. Just come play a game with us. Like, it'll be fine. Like, we play with players that take slower turns. We are going to complain about it after the fact, days, weeks, months later on a podcast. But at the time, we're going to have a good time playing that game. So don't mm-hmm. be afraid to come talk to us about about games. And I think the last thing I want to I want to kind of let's we've been on this tangent long enough. Let's bring it back. And that is when, for me, one of the worst things that happens is when people complain about the game. When somebody's like, oh, I didn't know that rule, so I didn't do that thing, so I couldn't score points, and that's the way you won. Or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, ugh, the entire time, you did that with um, Dinner in Paris. You're just like, oh, my God, this game is awful. And it sours the experience for people who are enjoying the game because they're getting this like negative feedback. That they're not having fun sitting with you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it especially is it especially sucks when like you bring the game, like, okay, I have an idea for us to have fun. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is so not fun. Like, oh God, you're God, such a terrible is... person. Why would you force me to do this? It makes you feel really sh- I guess that's the point. Like we all like screw up, right? We don't need to be um beat up ourselves about it. Forgiveness. My favorite part during that game is like, did you think I'd actually like this game? No, but it's you know it's for the it's for the podcast, I guess. I did. I will say we had a fun experience. You know, my memories looking back are like this is this was a fun experience. Yeah, because you, you talk. Yeah, because you talked the entire time about how the game sucked. Anywho, that's what we that's that's our discussion about uh, how we how experience shapes the way we feel about games. Um, we obviously went on a little tangent. New new merch coming out at some point. Board game shenanigans podcast. Be a faster player. You heard it here. We're gonna we're gonna start selling shirts at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Be a faster player. All right, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. 
Um, if you like our page, that's really helpful. Or like any of our posts, that's helpful as well. And send us our questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.